right? We just start recording. We turn it on and we go. We go and we go and we go. We turn things down. We turn things up. This does this. That does that. I think we're okay. Okay. I think my gain is in the right place. I have notes. The show is moving. The show is moving. I'm going to turn the mic down to around here. Sounds good to me. I actually have notes. Oh, no. I have notes, but the not these notes. I have these notes. So, what's up for the show? We all know what is up for the show. Manchester Derby. Everybody needs diet updates. Crazy Joe Biden and 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 Bolshevik Bernie. Coronavirus, good times, and the ever favorite, number one with a bullet. Laurent reads Breitbart comments. Everybody loves it. So let's start. We have to start with the football. The football and the football. Okay, Manchester Derby. So for the kids that don't know, my favorite team, Manchester City, plays in the same city as the world-famous Manchester United, the most successful club in England. Historically, my team has been nothing. Uh, I mean, they have, they have history, but local history. They're not an international player. They have one cup from the 70s and before football became modern football and all this stuff. And while Manchester United have essentially dominated um, all, all sport over the last, all of English sport over the last, since 1992, so what's that? Oh, shit, I can't do the math. 28 years, 29 years, whatever the hell it is. And they have won, I think, 18 championships in that time period. Most famous club in the world. Sadly, on, on hard times have not won since, 2000, since 2013. So these are big games for local pride. These are big games for Manchester United to prove their project is on the road. These are big games for City this season because we've been so, lack of a better word, poor in, this, in the league. And we've been beaten by United the last three times, last two times. And we got beat again. Uh, you know, City are having a poor season. We lack leadership, and it's showing. And we didn't put the best lineup out. I don't think we were ever really in the game. We kind of, City kind of did its passing thing and kind of, you know, made chances, didn't really make any chances. It wasn't sharp. It was kind of low-intensity Players were played in places they don't normally play, or they do play, but with different combinations. So a lot of new players in new places, specifically Foden on the right, and uh, Cancelo for for and and Zinchenko. A lot of weird combinations of players who don't play that often. So that was odd. Aguero wasn't sharp. It just kind of felt flat. United with a better team. United had more cohesion. United were really defensively good, and I think that's this is more to say. So this was a B minus squad from City with a C performance, or a B squad with a C performance, and this was United's best available at their best. Really, like you saw everything that United can do. Uh, Bruno Fernandez has made a huge difference to the team. All of a sudden. They have thrust in the midfield. Uh, they have protection with with uh, Matic in front of their back four with Fred. They have, you know, Martial is a good finisher. They've got the pace with James, who's still making poor decisions, but he's really only this first season in the top flight of football. 
And then on the other side, who's on the other side? Oh, God, I can't even remember. It doesn't matter. United were good. They were defensively strong, and uh, they deserved to win. Their first goal was a quick free kick that uh, Martial put in. And their second goal came in the last minute of the game on a mistake by Ederson. He did not, Ederson, City's goalkeeper, did not have a good game. So it's just kind of a weird, we never, City never threatened. Anyway, it, uh, for the larger sense of the season, doesn't say anything. It just, you know, it just means Liverpool is going to win the league sooner. City are pretty entrenched in second place. United are moving up closer to the fourth spot, uh, but Chelsea also won. So it has implications for the confidence of United. But one thing we know about this United side, they can have good performances and then lose. And then City just lose to the same types of teams over and over again. If you are a good team that can defend deep and hit on a break, you can beat City because City cannot defend at all. If there's one, you know, they can have possession. But if you come on the break, you will get a good chance because someone will fuck something up. And that's what happened. So we lost 2-0. It's not an indictment on Pep. It's not an indictment on anything. This is just a transitional season. It's weird. We have no defenders, and I don't get too bummed out about it. I was bummed out about it early when the goal went in, and then just I could tell that City were never going to get back on it. They feel very late pellegrini they feel very late manager, period, where they kind of, not down tools, but it's just weird that this is the same team that scored 198 points for two seasons. It's bizarre. Anyway, uh, also in the soccer um, committee, this was the first week of San Diego Loyal's season, the new, uh, uh, new team in San Diego at the second tier of the USL Championship of... American soccer, so one step below the MLS. Basically, if you do really well at this level for several years and you show that you have fans and you show that you can have revenue and you show uh, a stadium that can be built, you can go from the M from this level to MLS. There have been, let me count, FC Cincinnati, Sacramento Republic, which is coming next season, uh, Orlando team came from this league so it's very common uh seattle sounders came from this league portland thorns these have been existing teams that moved into mls so it is a stepping stone but my oh my was that fucking abysmal it was awful jesus christ the football was bad the refereeing was even worse very stop start lots of fouls so there was no flow to the game there were a good 10 minutes at the end it was a draw but the, the Las Vegas Lights, who are the other team, uh, wearing a shirt that looks like somebody threw up confetti on it, um, scored a goal early. It was a real golazo outside the box. And then we picked up one goal, and then that was it. No chances. No other shots on target. Ugh. If that's the football we're going to get, I don't know how many games I'm going to go to. But it was crowded. It did have a good atmosphere. So it has that going for it. A lot of beer. But the football has to get better. Ultimately, your team needs to show fight for it to be fun. It's all right to lose. What's weird about soccer games when you're at the game, it doesn't feel as dire if your team... Your team can lose, but lose with panache and grace. But I don't think Landon Donovan is a good coach. He seems like a fucking pussy. So 
That's just my thought. Anyway, that's the football update. Liverpool's going to win the league. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Um, I know you guys are all up on my diet update. I'm still not eating many carbs. I did have a piece of cheesecake this weekend at a kid's birthday party. It was the first sugary good thing I've eaten aside from like a chicken finger in probably a month. It was the greatest cheesecake I've ever eaten in my whole life. I don't know where the cheesecake gods are, but I love you, so thank you. But otherwise, I'm doing well. I think the thing that's really interesting about it is I feel incredible. I don't know what the hell's going on with carbs or whatever the fuck is in them or sugar or whatever. But I'm getting, if not weight loss benefits, very little, like seven or eight pounds, but health benefits over the moon. Now, to be fair, it has coincided with me working out, but only once a week. So I'm not sure it's so much, um, so much that, so, so, it's not so much that, you know, there's two variables, right? I'm working out a little bit. Uh, I'm not off my meds, which has been incredible. And I'm eating these, and I'm not eating sugar and carbs much. And I'm not a fanatic. I'm not, you know, some keto checking lunatic. I'm not all in and doing my fucking financials or whatever, but I'm just doing it. And it's been good. I feel energetic. I feel sharp. I feel less depressed. I don't know. It's anecdotal. I don't know the science, but I feel good. So I'm going to keep it going because when you get results and you feel good, it makes it easy to keep going. So I recommend it for my, my cohort of over 40s men who are feeling soft and pudgy and slow. Uh, stop eating bread. Stop eating sugar. See what happens. Give it some time. I did feel fucked up a little bit, but otherwise I feel really good. So that was interesting. Um, I don't know how this segues into politics, but uh, it, it segues in that it's old people and old men and old stuff. And now I'm less... Uh, we're going to talk about really old people. So Crazy Joe Biden appears to have grabbed the entirety of, uh, of the America with this Super Tuesday where 38 percent of the delegates were given out and Bernie Sanders and he are now basically neck and neck for uh, 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 the whole thing. So we went into Super Tuesday. Actually, we didn't. The day before Super Tuesday, Klobuchar and Buttigieg dropped out. So the Democrats in the middle clo closed ranks. They forced them out, probably. Who the fuck knows what the hell's going on in the back? Probably promised them a fucking cabinet or something stupid if Joe wins. Anyway. Or someone's going to be the VP. Whatevs. And they just said, we can't have Bernie because Bernie is too far to the left, I guess. And, you know, that's fine. But his energy, his, his team, his, his campaign has juice with lefty, liberal, city-dwelling college kids who don't vote because they're lazy. But uh, what it showed was the Democrats in the South are not down with Bernie. They are down with Joe Biden, who's a more traditional kind of dude, and Bernie isn't. He's this atheist, you know, he sort of underestimates the power of faith within the United States. I mean, you cannot win in this country if you're not religious. Somehow Trump faked it because he just lies, um, but, you know, he has a different rules to himself, but... In general, if we go by the old rules, 
you've got to have some faith. You've got to be right there. You've got to be able to go to church and be cool. And and Joe's got a coolness to him. He just does. He has a he's got an Obama halo to him that people just kind of get. Like you know that that um that George Bush thing, a guy you can hang out with. So we've been hanging out with Joe for a long time, and I think people feel good with him. And Bernie feels radical and intense and not a guy you want to hang out with. He feels literally like you're going to hang out with Larry David. Larry David is funny, but he does not seem fun to hang out with. Like, he'll yell at a waiter. He'll say, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, that kind of abrasiveness is and passion is cool, but it's it's not... I guess it's not there for a lot of people, and it doesn't feel good to sort of your traditional democratic base. Anyway, we'll see. Um, they're still neck and neck. We'll see if Bernie can pull some things out, or if we have a contested primary. It seems the Democrats at all, the rest of the party, is falling behind, falling along. Falling behind on Joe, so you get he's getting a lot of endorsements. Uh, you know, the only one that Bernie will get maybe is Elizabeth Warren, but otherwise he's sort of getting the, the sort of fringe. But the party itself wants Joe Biden, so it sort of feels, sort of feels, uh, sort of feels Hillary Clintony. But here's one thing that I want everyone to think about, and this is a theory I have, and it involves black people, and it involves Joe Biden, and it involves Donald Trump. Black people in this country determine coolness. If black people like you, you're cool, and that has a halo effect that lets you move along, right? Bill Clinton, uh, historically, the joke was that he was the first black president before Obama. When you get the coolness of the black voter and the sort of understanding and the endorsement of he's down, you get a lot of points. And I, I think that's underrated. And I think that culturally, the power of the African-American experience and vote and endorsement means a lot. And it's something that scares people because it, it is this thing that's uncontrollable. It is the thing that African-American black people have. They have the cool. And that's always why we stay close to them. And it is the thing that makes America, America, secretly. It's not our wealth and all this thing. It's the cultural power of blackness. It's jazz. It's cool. It's hip. Now, neither Bernie or Joe or Trump are cool or anything, but I think if out of those three, Biden is the, it has the halo of coolness the most because he hung out with Obama, and Obama was cool. right? He had a coolness to him. Now, the thing that's interesting, and one of the reasons that Trump, I think, is really afraid of Biden more than Bernie, is Trump strikes me as a guy, as much as there's all the racistness of him, he's still just a guy from Queens. And everybody from Queens is, from, especially from his side of the town, it's kind of racist, but it's, it's, it's Archie Bunker racism. It's dumb. It's, yeah, you're a uh, you fucking coon motherfucker. But, you know, he's cool, he's black. I, yeah, I know black people, it's cool. So Trump is like that. You know, he's got Russell Simmons, and he's got Puff Daddy, and he's got black people that like him. And I think he has that sense 
for marketing and for what's cool, that even though he's racist or whatever, he's just a dumb guy, he intrinsically knows that he needs the black the black vote with him. He needs that rub of the green. And I think he, he's always wanted that. He's always wanted black people to think he was cool. And that's one of those, those insecurities. I mean, he's insecure about everything. But I think he thinks that he can get that cool blackness to him, even though, you know, whatever. And you see it on Twitter. You see it in his crowds. He always wants that. He always wants that minority. He always wants that black vote. He wants that black shine. And he can't get it. And I think he knows that Joe Biden has it, or at least has it more than he does. And it drives him fucking crazy. And that might be also why he doesn't like Obama so much. Granted, it's racism, it's whistle-calling, it's all that. But it's also, Obama is cool. Obama's got juice. Obama can go to the NBA All-Star game. Joe Biden is cool. He's got something cool. He can go hang out. He's not creepy, Joe Biden. He's cool. He's got something uh, that I think Trump fears. And that's that connection to the African-American somehow. Because Biden's from Delaware, he's from Baltimore, he's Catholic, he's, he's, you know, he's that guy. Anyway, that's a theory I have, and I hope, I hope someone picks it up and runs with it. I, I do think it's, it's in the cards there. And uh, speaking of, of cool and crazy, we have Corona. Corona is out of control. So, uh, I mean, I'm not going to go through it. It's all everywhere. I mean, it's a real panic. It's a real thing. Trump is concerned about numbers. We've made it political just fucking maddening. Everything is political. The left trying to blame Trump for ruining everything. Trump trying to keep the numbers down. And, you know, the conspiracy theory that, oh, we're not ready and Trump's an idiot. I don't care about that. Uh, it really doesn't matter. But it, it's what's scary is we're really not prepared in terms of testing people. So we are, by explicit or implicit, fucking this up. Because we're not testing people enough, because of whatever reason. Like, uh, I think in Korea, which is the second largest, South Korea, second largest outbreak, they tested, this is as of a few days ago, they tested over 100,000 people in a country that was, you know, probably has 30, 40 million people. And in the US, we've only tested 5,000. Now, we don't have as many cases, but we'll never have as many cases if we don't test and find out how many we have versus don't have. So Trump's trying to bullshit his way through this. And it's not a joke. Like, you know, people don't understand the math. And that's the thing that's frustrating. Um, the one thing I wanted to talk about with it is the way human nature functions in these panics. We should look to them. We should understand them. Humans panicking is natural. It is part of our defense system. Yes, we can all say, don't panic, don't panic. You have a very like, low chance of getting anything. Yes, on an individual basis, we all have a very low chance of contracting and dying from the coronavirus. That is absolutely true. But at the individual level, it's not the same as as a societal level. So somehow in our nature and DNA, we humans overreact and panic to small 
100% events like a virus. But it's designed to keep the society from getting completely sick. Because there's low downside, right? There's low downside. The risk of getting sick is too high. You know, it's, it's a math problem. The risk of an individual getting sick is no big deal, but it's exponential. If you get sick, then you can get everyone else sick. So nature has figured this out. It knows what to do. It's built in some kind of DNA, some kind of system of panic and anxiety to make sure humans go, I don't want to get that. Because by doing that, we then remove ourselves from the, from the group. And the group survives. So on a micro level, we'll never get it. But at a macro level, the whole society can get it because it's an exponential problem, right? One person infects 50 people. Only one person got it, and he was the only chance he could have got it was 1 in 50 or 1 in 1,000. But he can get to 50, and then the next person is 1 in 1,000. So that multiplier, people don't get math. So when we have 100,000 cases, it means potentially, you know, it's 1 to the, to the fifth. You know what I mean? So, I mean, my math is terrible, but someone smarter than me understands these things. So we just shouldn't deride our friends who are panicking. They are doing the right thing. Don't tell them that, oh, it's just like the flu. It's not just like the flu. Humans have something built in to protect the society, and that is panic. Panic is a feature, not a bug. No pun intended. You should panic because you're saving yourself, even if you have a one in a thousand chance of getting it, can save dozens of people who may not be able to get it or who you might be immune, fine, as a middle-aged healthy person. But all you have to do is go to the CVS accidentally and see some lady who's a greeter who might be 75 years old and you kill her. You may never even never know that you kill her. So panic is a feature not a bug. One thing about coronavirus is that it's really affecting the economy and there's a real panic. And now we have, uh, we've got OPEC getting nutty and we're going to have a huge drop and we might have breaks on the old uh, Dow Jones and the 500. We'll probably see like a 2,000 point drop tomorrow. It's getting exciting, folks. There's sort of these unintended consequences of the coronavirus. So, with China shutting down for basically the last month, they stopped driving and stopped going anywhere. And so the demand for oil dropped and dried up. <laughs> and so the price of oil is going to really drop because now OPEC is in a, is in a war, a price war with Russia. And uh, we could see some really hairy stuff go down. Uh, this is where we, we sort of, these are these institutional pieces where people think like, people think globalism is bad, but they don't see the wheels turning of what globalism does. It sets prices. It keeps things peaceful. There's just less war. Yes, it's annoying. It makes for things being, you know, connecting things and there being network effects across countries. But business between countries is what prevents war. <laughs> and when you when you start down this path of, like, individual sovereignty and what my country needs over what your country needs without regard to the rest of the world, you get into the conflicts that we have in the 20th century. It's not a zero-sum game. We can all do well. And that's, 
that's the failure of of the globalists, whatever the hell that means, uh, of of the international consortium or whatever the hell they are, is that these things all go together, and it's scary that we don't kind of get that. And as we get down to the end of the show, I hope people like this bit, but I tend to enjoy it. I really love uh, I really love this part of the show. My Laurent reads Breitbart comments. It's really exciting. I haven't gotten any feedback, but I just know that people love it. So, here is Laurent Reed's Breitbart comments. And the number one commented and shared uh, item on Laurent Reed's Breitbart comments is, Democratic, Republic, uh, Democratic Representative Speer says, Trump putting his most ardent supporters at risk by not canceling rallies. This is uh, Jackie Spear. She's a Democrat from California. And she is saying that Trump is putting his people at risk by not canceling his rallies. The number one comment is, let's read some. So, ding dong, should Biden and Sanders cancel theirs as well? How about all the down ballot seats? Should they be canceled? Hypocrite. Here's another good one. If they are asking to cancel rallies, then they know Trump is winning. Finally, the hateful, radical left fear us patriots. It took Trump to kickstart this transformation. God bless America! In all caps. Let's see. Oh, I like when... Oh, this is good. Perhaps this dirty rat should worry about cleaning up her own backyard from the disease-prone homeless and third-world illegals. Something tells me more illnesses and diseases are spread from liberal policies than anything. The true pandemic to these D-rat Marxists is Trump rallies keep getting bigger and bigger with a third of them being Democrats. If there is a real problem and the coronavirus would infect and sicken Trump supporters at his overflowing rallies, they would be all for that. What they are calling for is purely political theater. That's how sick and low the Democrats, emphasis on rats, are to be willing to cause a panic for cheap political short-term gain. These disgusting Democrats, rats again, must never attain political power in this country ever again. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Here we go. We got another one. Oh, here we go. This is good. The Democrats are a far greater threat to coronavirus. And you'd think Jackie Spear would know, since she was nearly murdered by the crackpot communist Democrat Jim Jones. But she clearly learned nothing. Ah, oh, this is great. I hope you guys are enjoying these. Anyway, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. We're getting weirder.